Well, good morning. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the youth pastor here. I actually spend more of my time at the Anderson campus, but the way that I like to describe it is that I get to play with everyone, and so I get to oversee uh, all the campuses, and so I work with Jared, who's over here, and the fellows here uh, quite often, as well as a lot of the staff. It's kind of funny. People that go to this campus don't go to that campus like, do you know who Blake is or Jason? I'm like, yeah, Jason's my boss. So I, we all kind of interact with each other frequently. Uh, so, but excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, a little bit about me. I've got a beautiful wife, Hillary, who's sitting front row uh, right here. And I've got three amazing kids. I've got a five-year-old daughter named Peyton. I've got an almost four-year-old son named Micah. He'll be four in September. And I've got an almost two-year-old son named Jesse, and uh, he'll be two in July. And so that's our craziness. And, uh, and we've got Quattro on the way. And so Quattro is due November, end of November, early December. And uh, so that's my crazy world, um, which is good because I'm talking about authority. And so I could learn, you know, use some wisdom in my crazy parenting world of what it looks like to live with authority. And we're going through Proverbs. If you haven't been with us yet, if you're a visitor, uh, we're going through the book of Proverbs. And, and you can't go through Proverbs exegetically, verse by verse, all the way through, because they're, they're, each passage isn't necessarily related to the next. And so when we think about authority, I'm going to be jumping all over the book of Proverbs. The, the verses are all on the PowerPoint. They'll be on the website later on if you want to go back and, and look at them. But there will be no way you can follow me along in your Bible, just to beware. Um, normally, I like you going, you know, people going through the Bible as I'm going along. But gosh, you would have to be a champion of sword drills in order to, uh, to keep up. So go for it if you so desire. Um, but I am talking about authority, and the truth is this. Uh, as soon as I throw out that word, authority, I would say this. All of us struggle with the idea of authority. And this was first brought home to me uh, when I was just graduated college. Uh, I, was, I was running at the time. I was training, and I didn't have much money. It was like in between time before a real job. And uh, a roommate of mine uh, said, hey, look, um, you can go to Boston. My dad uh, oversees a a medical research thing, and I know you need an MRI on your knee because of an injury, so he can give you a free MRI if you volunteer as part of his medical experiment. And I'm like, oh, okay, this sounds great, and so I buy in, right? And so he goes there, yeah, yeah, he's like, my mom will pick you up at the airport, she'll take you to the medical location, I'm sure it's legitimate, and, uh, and you can have your MRI and be part of the medical experiment. I'm like, okay, this is, this is perfect. And it's an early flight, and, and I get there, and I'm tired, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe I'll just go take a nap for a little bit before the you know, medical experimentation questions, you know, I lose my life during it. But regardless, uh, I may have taken a nap beforehand. But what I didn't realize at the time is that his mom loved to give tours to people of Boston. Not only that, she was a British woman. And so literally, she gives me the historical tour day Boston as a British woman. She brings me to the Boston Harbor. She's like, there's where you dumped our tea into the harbor, right? She brings me to Paul Revere's house. We go, and there's where he lives. And there's the church where he warned you we were coming, right? So like, this is the British. You haven't lived until you've had a British woman give you the Revolutionary War history in Boston, right? And so as I'm sitting there hearing this, I'm just hit by the irony of the whole situation. And then I realize this was the roots of, of our existence, right? Like this is how we got here. How did we get here? 
we rebelled against authority, right? No taxation without representation. Like, there's no way you're going to rule me from over there on that stinking island, right? And so we fought against authority. It's in our natural history to resist authority, right? But not only that, we live in Texas, people. And people from other states don't really get Texas. They don't really understand how the whole thing fits together. But the truth is, we were a sovereign nation at one point in time, right? Like, we ran the show, right? And the only reason we're part of the United States is because we chose to be. We let them, you know, bring us in, right? And you know this is true because as soon as something goes on in Washington that we dislike, what happens? Every Ford F-150 gets a new sticker on their bumper that says what? Secede, right? Like, oh, we'll just let you know. We can take it back at any time, right? <laughs> like, we resist authority. But not only that, I've been reading recently about um, job satisfaction, uh, where to find the best employment, that sort of thing, or what, what, what employees want in their, in their jobs. And there's a 40-year-old study that's called this, this, and they developed this theory called self-determination theory. And it argues that people discover job satisfaction, How? Well, it gives three ways in which an individual will find job satisfaction. So if you want to find job satisfaction, here's the number one way, number one piece you should look for to find job satisfaction. Number one is this, autonomy. Autonomy. I thought that was so interesting. So how am I going to be satisfied in my job? I don't want anyone to tell me what to do, Right? I'm in America, I'm a Texan, and there's no way my boss, right? That's the root of job satisfaction. But if you're to think about it long enough, you realize that authority structures are everywhere. We've got teachers, we've got coaches, we've got government officials, we've got police, we've got all sorts of governing authorities around us. If we've got such a rejection of it, why are we surrounded by it? Where did it come from? The answer may surprise you. God. God developed authority. And before you even think, the Trinity was a relationship of authority. There was Father, Son, and Spirit eternally existent before we ever got here. And there was deference and authority given to the Father by the Son and the Spirit. There's an authority structure. I mean, look at Jesus when he walked to the earth. What did he say? I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father is saying. He put himself under authority. And when he created man, he gave parents, listen to this kids, authority over their kids, right? At the very beginning, there was authority structures. And to Noah, in Genesis 9, 6, he gives the first, we get the first kind of inkling of governmental authority. God says this to Noah, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. He says, look, if you go killing each other, that's, that's not the structure, that's not the life that I want. So he, he gave man authority. Paul says it this way in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And Peter says it this way, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to the governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and to the praise of those who do good. So authority is here to stay, right? It's established by God. And the truth is this. 
Authority, when used correctly, is actually a really good thing. And so here's where Proverbs comes in. The book of Proverbs is written in how to live wisely, how to live a wise life, how to navigate life well. And as you think about your life, you know that you will be navigating through authority structures all over the place. And so the question I'm I'm posing, and I want to try to answer this morning, is this. How do we navigate those authority structures well? And I want to answer it in three ways. How do we, what do I do when I'm in authority? What do I do when I'm under authority? And how can I see all authority under God's authority? That's where we're going this morning. And so the first thing I want to, the first question I want to ask is this. How do we navigate it when we're in authority? Because the truth is this. There will be some point in time when you're in authority. Parents. Hands. Mm-hmm. You are authority figures. Whether you realize it or not, whether you wanted it or not, when that baby landed in your lap, suddenly you got authority. Coaches, you're in authority over your players, but also at the school in which you may be coaching, or, or maybe even if you're an upward basketball coach, I would tell you this, you've got a level of authority amongst those parents, so just beware, you've got authority at work. I mean, some of you are bosses. Any bosses in the room? You've got people that work underneath you? You're, you're, you have a level of authority? But maybe you're not boss, but you may just become a project manager over a certain segment of the project, and you will have authority in that environment. And so every one of us, at some point in our lives, will be in authority. And so the question I would ask you is this. First question is, what type of authority am I going to be? And to get a little more poignant, I would ask you this. Will I be controlled by circumstances when I'm in authority? Or will my character be the anchor in the sea of cultural change? Will I be controlled by circumstances? Or will my character be the anchor in a sea of cultural change? And the reason I chose those words is for this reason. I don't know if you know what an anchor is, but if you've ever been on a boat out, the anchor gives stability to the entire ship. When the waves are crashing, the sea is going crazy, there is an anchor that holds that boat stably, in stability. And what I'm asking you is, will you allow the circumstances to change your behavior? Or will there be Christ-like character at the root of all of your decisions? I'm hoping you answer B, because that's what I'm going to encourage you with. How can I have Christ-like character be the anchor in the sea of change? It was interesting, I was watching a... uh, an interview with Lance Armstrong from the BBC, BBC Network. And it's a 50-minute interview with Lance Armstrong. And if you don't know who Lance Armstrong is, uh, he won seven Tour de France victories. Right? So the most highly decorated um, uh, cyclists that, that the world has ever seen and definitely that our nation has ever produced. And he's won seven tours, but it came, out, came to be found out that he won them illegally. He was blood doping. And he became the, the target of all accusation and all investigation about drug doping and the, the problems with cycling in general. And he led, a, or he had like kind of a, an interview with Oprah in which he kind of confessed his sins to the world. And then this one actually I feel is like a more legitimate follow-up to that. And so the interviewer is asking him all sorts of questions about his life, 
all sorts of questions about blood doping, um, the, the payoffs that were going to, to officials and racing officials, the whole thing. And he's asking him all sorts of questions. And then he comes to the end of the interview. It's a 50-minute interview. In like the last two minutes, the interviewer says, look, I, I just got to ask this question. If you had to do it all over again, would you do it again? And he said, no one, not one of us, wanted to be in that situation. In 1995, I showed up as a, as a nothing kid from Plano, Texas, and I just wanted to ride my bike. And I get there to Europe, and there's a kid from Australia, there's a couple guys from Europe, there's a couple of guys from America, and we're all sitting there, and, and at that moment, we've got to make a decision. Are we all going to go home because we're not good enough to compete with them, or are we going to do whatever it takes to win? And the interviewer then said to him, he's like, well, you could have gone home. You could have packed up, and and he's like, yeah, I could have gone home. I mean, I could have worked at a bike shop. I could have gone back to school. That kid could have gone back to Australia. I mean, we could have done that. But I didn't want to. And the interviewer pressed him on that. He said, at least you would have had your integrity if you would have just turned and gone home. And he said, I don't know many people that retained their integrity and do that. Just turn and go home. And then the BBC interview ended. I'm like, you've got to explain that statement. Like, I want more on that. But you see his paradigm. You see his perspective. I wanted to do the right thing. I I wanted to race man on man against the best in the world. But the circumstances were too chaotic. The waves were too high. And I just did what I had to do to win. And you know what? Sadly, I would do it again. But what I'm encouraging us to do is to not let the circumstances determine what you do. I want the, your Christ-like character, I want my Christ-like character to be the stability, the anchor, no matter what's going on. So the question is, how do I do that? Well, I'd give you two things. Listen to the right voices. Is the first one. And secondly, leverage your authority to do what's right. So the first thing I would tell you to do, if you are in authority, is to listen to the right voices. Proverbs 29, 27 says this, An unjust man is abominable to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. The first thing I would tell you is this, as soon as you get whatever position of authority may be given to you, here's what will happen. People will come with lots of opinions and opposing views. And you may think to yourself, okay, I've got that position of authority. I'm going to walk on water and navigate through all of the disagreements and problems. Here's the problem with that. You're going to make one decision, and people will disagree on both sides. Read the verse. It says, an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright is is abominable to the wicked. So immediately, there's going to be people who agree with you, and there's going to be people that disagree with you. You can't please everyone. And when you're in authority, you've got to know this. You can't please everyone. But the question you've got to answer, your, answer to yourself is, well, who am I going to listen to? Who's going to have my ear? Proverbs 12.5 says this, The thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Proverbs 10.32 says this, The lips of the righteous bring forth what's acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked is perverted. 
The first thing you've got to do when you are choosing who to listen to, you've got to look at the character of the people speaking. And you have to make the determination, is this person speaking words of righteousness or are they speaking words of deceit? Are they trying to trick me? Are they bringing me into a bad situation? Am I listening to the right voices? And how do you figure that out? My encouragement to you would, look at, would be to look at their character over time. Young guys, your frat buddy is not the best source of advice. Why? Not because he's a frat guy. I love frat guys. My cousin was president of SIGAP back in the day, right? So frat guys are fine. They don't have enough experience. They don't. So as you think about the voices speaking into your life as you lead or you make decisions, look at people's character that's been proven over time. They're not going to deceive you. So the first thing is to listen to the right voices, but secondly, I would encourage you to do this, to leverage your authority to do what's right. So you've been given that position of authority, whatever it is, whether it's a boss, you're leading an organization, whatever it is, you've been given that position by God. And so the question that I would, you got to figure out is, okay, well, how do I do what's right? How do I leverage my authority well? Well, Proverbs 24, 24 through 25 says this, He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, peoples will curse him, nations will abhor him. But to those who rebuke the wicked will be delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Proverbs 29 forces this, The king gives stability to the land by justice, but a man who takes bribes overthrows it. Now, you've seen several of these words. You've probably seen king several times here, and you may be thinking to yourself, okay, well, I'm not a king. Any, many of you men may be saying like, well, I'm a king of my house. Well, your throne is the toilet, so your level of authority may be that. But, but you may not be big K king, but you've been given that spot. And so if you want to give stability to your organization, you want to give to lead it well, you rule justly, you lead justly. Point nine four. But the man who takes bribes overthrows it. I don't know if any of you are FIFA fans right now. The president of FIFA just brought, was just brought down over this exact issue. And he brought accusation against the entire organization. Proverbs 28, 28, 20, 28 says this, Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds the throne by righteousness. Proverbs 14, 34, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Now, I think this is true. And don't think about it just nation. Think about it organization. Think about what you're leading. See, if, if you lead it well, people will celebrate it. If you lead it poorly, people will throw stones at it. I mean, just look at all of, uh, many of our major sports teams with our colleges recently. Look at Ohio State. Look at SMU. Look at, look at these organizations that have not led righteously and the results that, that come on the tail end of that. But not only are you supposed to reward what's right, secondly, you're supposed to punish what's wrong. And this one's tough. It's, easily, it's easy to celebrate the good things. It's tough to punish the bad things. This is one of my favorite verses from Proverbs. It's harsh, but it's one of my favorites. 20 verse, Proverbs 20, verse 26. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. Ooh, that sounds like it breaks things. It does. Yes, it does. 18.5, to show partiality to the wicked is not good, 
nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. Your responsibility as a leader is not only to reward what's right, but to punish what's wrong. God's given you that authority. And I think, uh, I want to take a moment here, I just want to say, uh, what I'm not saying is if you're given a position of authority, you're given leadership, if you do this, your organization will thrive or you will thrive. In fact, some of these decisions to reward what's right and punish what's wrong may be the toughest decisions you make, and it may actually cause you to be fired from your organization. It says this in Proverbs 28, 16, or Proverbs 16, 8. I'm sorry, is that up there? One more. Proverbs 16, 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. As you're making these decisions, you may lose your job, but better is a little with righteousness than all the money in the world that you got from a legal gain or where you rewarded the wrong people. And see, this is the most challenging part of authority. Rewarding what's right, punishing what's wrong. But this is what our world craves, right? I mean, think about NBA teams. When there's problems within the organization, who do they look to first to control the locker room? The coach. I read an article um, several months ago about a, a kid in, in, play, in Dallas, in the Dallas, Texas area. And his he was drunk driving, and he ended up killing four people. It's a kid. And the trial went to court, and the defense attorney argued for his innocence on the basis of this, affluenza. I don't know if you know what affluenza is, but according to the lawyer, the attorney, the defense attorney for this kid, she, he was saying, look, no one ever held this kid's feet to the fire. No one ever punished him. No one ever told him he was wrong. In fact, every time the kid got into problems, the parents would rush in, swoop in. My baby's good. Everything's fine. They would fix everything. And he never suffered the repercussions of his actions. He never had an authority that loved him enough to speak the truth in love. And when he comes to court, the best defense this attorney can come up with is, look, he's a victim of the fact that no one cared enough to tell the kid to stop. Affluenza. And four people died. And you look at this and you go, man, our world is screaming for leaders, people in authority, to listen to the right voices and leverage your authority to do what's right. And my hope is if you actually do that well, as Proverbs 10, 7 says this, the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. That you'd be one whose name is blessed when you're in authority. Then next, I want to look at what it looks like when you're under authority. As for many of us, we can all think of moments when we're under authority, whether you're under a professor or under a teacher or under a boss or under a a coach, that sort of thing. There are so many areas in which we're under authority, but the real question is this. Okay, when I'm under authority, what is the best way for me to be under that authority? So I'd ask you this question. What type of follower am I going to be? When you're under authority, what type of follower are you going to be? Am I going to be? And to push it a little bit further, I would ask you this question. Will I be controlled by my circumstances? Or will my character be an anchor in a sea of leadership change? 
when leaders are changing, will my character, my Christ-centered character, be a stability in the sea of changing leadership? My encouragement to you that it would be. So the question is, how do I be one that follows well? How do I be a good follower of authority? Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do this is to look to be heard. And how can you be one that's heard? If you're following Jesus and you are wise, how can you be heard? Well, the first thing I would tell you to do is to look at your behavior. Watch your actions. Proverbs 25, 6 says this, Do not claim honor in the presence of a king, and do not stand in the place of great men. So when you walk into the presence of that person in authority, whether that's a boss or someone with a high level of authority, don't expect that you are supposed to be there, that you earned the right. I've been reading several business books uh, about millennials, right? So I'm trying to advise college students and, and young high school students, how do you walk into jobs and that sort of thing. And what, what's interesting is the dominant view of millennials, this kind of upcoming generation, is this. I deserve a seat at the table. So you graduate college, you're going out for your first job, and the assumption that many people are walking out of their, you know, college station time or wherever they're graduating, is, is once I walk into that room, I deserve a seat at the table. I deserve to be heard. Well, this proverb says, slow your go, right? Easy there, cowboy. You don't necessarily deserve to be heard yet. In fact, Jesus gave the same advice. He says, when you go to someone's house for dinner, don't assume the seats of honor. You let the person in power raise you to the seat of honor. You walk in there wisely and respectfully. That's how you walk in. You watch your behavior. And I love this from Proverbs 23, 1 through 5. When you're in that room, when you're in that seat, he says this. When you sit down to eat with the ruler, observe carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat. Well, that was a spin. Where where did that come from? Okay. Put a knife to your throat. If you are given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flies like an eagle toward heaven. What is he saying there? When you walk into that person with authority, whether it's a principal or an executive or whoever it is, when you walk into that seat, you walk in there and don't don't try to work the system. Don't try to just work stuff from them. You know why? Because good leaders can smell it out. But secondly, they may be be trying to deceive you. They may be trying to manipulate you. They may be trying to do something illegal with you. And so you just stand there, you look to be heard, you walked in respectfully, and you walk walk wisely and wait for the situation to play out, see what's going to happen. And then my second advice to you is to look to be heard, but secondly, speak well. Watch your words. Watch your actions and watch your words. Matt's going to talk more about words, um, or or maybe he has, but I'd give you these couple advice in, in thinking about your words. 16.13, 16.13, Proverbs 16.13 says this, Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and he who speaks right is loved. Proverbs 16.13 says the same thing. Okay, Proverbs uh, 25.15 says this, For by forbearance a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue breaks a bone. I thought that was very interesting. A soft tongue breaks a bone. You ever wondered why sometimes if you're under authority, your words go unheard? 
And you may be thinking to yourself, maybe you're part of an organization or you're at work in business, and you're like, why is it that the leader, why is it that the boss always listens to them but never listens to me? You ever been there? It may be that this is the problem. It may be that your words, although right, will never be heard because you're not saying them in the right way. And it's, it says a soft tongue breaks a bone. It's like a little flick of the tongue, like that, and broken, right? What does that mean? That means you can move big things with a small tongue if it's used rightly. So my encouragement to you is as you're walking into that situation, watch your actions, watch your words. And then secondly, look to be heard. And lastly, I would tell you this. I'm sorry, maybe I skipped ahead. Look to be helpful. When you're in that scenario under authority, my encouragement to you is to look to be helpful. Proverbs 11.4 says this, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11.5, the, righteous the, the righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. You live a good life. But not only do you live a good life, you work hard. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 22.29. It says this, do you see a man who is skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So I don't know what job you're going to have. I don't know what place of authority you're going to be under. But if you don't have the ear of the people in power, I'll tell you a key way that you actually might be heard is you do your work with excellence. You do your work in such a way that it gets noticed by the people in power. You do it excellently, and then you will be risen in God's time. That's what we see in the life of Daniel. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. Men have been raised because of the choices they make to live an excellent life and do their work with excellence. And to sum up this section, I would give you Proverbs twenty-two eleven: He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. You want to move people. You want to be someone that actually helps the leaders above you. You love purity of heart. Your speech is gracious. And you'll have the ear of the people of power. Now, the, the pushback I, I think that I could see from, from all of this, like, Kevin, are, are you just trying to work this system? Like, are you encouraging us to use our authority, authority or be under the authority to just work the system? I mean, and, and, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is wisdom in life. This will help you regardless, truthfully, of whether or not you're a Christian. But the last piece, what I would give you to do, is to look beyond any earthly authority. Because all authority comes from God, and all, all authority comes through God. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this, that Christ created all things. Everything is created through him, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. All authority was given to Jesus, created by Jesus, and delegated to humans. And so when you've got authority, that is given by God. And you are one under God's authority. And so my encouragement, whether you are in authority or under authority, is the advice I got from a book I read in college called The Call by Oz, by Oz Guinness. And Oz says it this way, I live before the audience of one. Before others, I have nothing to prove, nothing to gain, and nothing to lose. You live before an audience of one.
one authority over everything, over all of your life. And some of you are still terrified by authority. You don't want authority, and you don't want to execute authority, and you certainly don't like being in authority. In fact, if you were to define it, you would define it like an illustration I thought about would, would be like, um, like a pamper pole. Have any of y'all been on a pamper pole? It's like those ridiculous telephone poles that you do at camp. It's like a strength training exercise, or I don't know, just I've got a death wish. And so you, they put a pole out there, and it's about, it's about 50 feet high, 30 feet high, and they tell you to climb the top of it. And you're like, what am I going to do? And so you start climbing your way. I guess I'm a lumberjack today. And you get to the top of the pamper pole, and you stand there in front of everyone. And what do they tell you once you're standing on the top of that pole? Jump, right? That's what they tell you. Like, there's a pole thing out there. You jump from the pole and grab it. And this is, I, don't, I have no idea why we do this, right? And you look down below, and there's someone holding a rope. And it's like a high school kid, you know, like this high school sophomore. Like, I got you. And you're just like, no. No, we're, no, I'm going to jump. That guy's going to get me. And when we think about authority, sometimes we think about it just like that. Like my boss is that high school kid that has no clue what he's doing, right? Or maybe you feel like the one holding the rope. You're the kid going, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, it, it can feel terrifying to both be in authority or under authority. But I would tell you, that's not the person ultimately holding the rope. Who's holding the strings of your life, God. He is the one in total control. He's the one with his hand on the rope. And so when we talk about what to do when we're in authority or under authority, all of it is under God's authority. And you can trust his hand. Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. You got a boss you hate? You know, God's in control of him. You got a teacher that's just unreasonable, God's in control of them. You got government officials you just want to give a piece of your mind to, hey, God's in control of them too. God's in control of this whole world and your story. And he can move the people of power like moving channels of water with his hand. Proverbs 29, 26 says this many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Hey, when we're talking to these people, these people in authorities, we're we're responding well. Look, you're not looking for them to make your life easy. You're looking for God to bring justice to the world. You're talking to God. Proverbs 18.10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs to it and is safe. Proverbs 29.23 says this, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. You know, some of my favorite stories from both the Bible and from history are from people that have chosen to stand before authorities that held the keys to their life, but they stood there in strength. How do they do it? One of my favorite biblical stories is from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? In the book of Daniel, these men are standing before a king, and the king says, look, unless you bow down to the statue of me, I'm going to kill you. You're going to the fire. You know what they said to the king? They said, our God can save us, but if not, we still will not bow. What gave them the strength to stand in front of that authority with that statement? They believed in God who held the rope. One of my favorite um, first century martyrs is a guy named Polycarp. He was 86 years old, 
And at the end of his life, he was following Christ, and and he was brought before a a council in which they were interrogating him. They said, look, all you have to do is deny that Christ is Lord and will set you free. And even his family around him is like, look, you're an old man. You can die out. You've lived a great life for Jesus. Just just deny Christ and live. And he stood in front of those authorities and said, look, for 86 years, I've served Jesus. He's never done me wrong. Why would I blaspheme my king who saved me? What gave Polycarp the strength to stand in front of this authority and speak the truth? Because he knew that ultimately this person is in control. God is. And I entrust myself to his authority to hold me in maybe through this life, but definitely through the next one. If I've entrusted God with my eternal life, then I can trust him with this life. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much that you have both put authority around us and you have delegated authority to us. And so, Lord, I pray that whether we are in authority or under authority, we would use that position wisely. And, Lord, I pray that we would be men and women that love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and serve you as the king who rules all things. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, y'all have a great morning.